I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Hello and welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster and this is Anne's version where for last couple weeks and for the next couple weeks i'm revisiting some classic episodes of the podcast which are now remastered not re-recorded but just christina lumagi who has been our amazing editor for quite a while but was not around when i was recording the first season you know and i was figuring out how the podcast worked anyway she's been cleaning up the audio to make it a bit more pleasant for you to listen to and also it gives me the opportunity to revisit some of these stories and i'm really i really i'm content with the episodes like the people who i profiled in the first season of this podcast i think it really set the tone for what this podcast is about and the kinds of stories we're going to tell which is lesser known people from history but of a scandalous nature, like people who are adjacent to maybe better known stories. And I think Jean de Lamotte is such a good example of that. So I first heard about Jean de Lamotte. I might say this in the episode as well, but um, there's a podcast that I love. And I also have a website and Instagram called Frock Flicks, where it's people who are so knowledgeable about historical costuming and they give reviews of different movies and they kind of critique how accurate they are or not. And just in the course of one of those, they mentioned that the wigs were really good in a movie called The Affair of the Necklace during Hillary Swank. And I was like, well, what's The Affair of the Necklace? And then I looked up what the story was. And that is how I came across this book that's called How to Ruin a Queen, Marie Antoinette and the Diamond Necklace Affair by Jonathan Beckman. I think it might be out of print, but you can still get it used or you can get an ebook of it. It's really readable. I've read it more than once. It's such a good story. And that's where I, I just really loved the story of Jeanne de Lamotte, this grifter she really set the scene for, in terms of vulgar history and just sort of setting the template, you know, Carolina Brunswick is there as this kind of scandalous British royal family adjacent person. Frances Howard is, of course, our tits out icon. And John de Lamotte really, I think, set the scene for later episodes about people like Catalina de Arauso and Lola Montez, just these kind of grifters who were maybe born not super well off and then just through force of will and just their dirtbag ways just kind of like became notorious. She's also, her story has got other things we like to talk about, like pamphlets. Anyway, please enjoy this episode about Jean de Lamotte, and I'll be, I'll pop on afterwards to give you a bit more, just more thoughts about this story and about vulgar history and some clues as to what the next major vulgar history season is going to be about. So enjoy past me telling you this story. (laughs) 
Hello, and welcome to Vulgar History. My name is Anne Foster, and this is a feminist women's history comedy podcast. For this, the inaugural season of this podcast, where I'm kind of figuring out what I'm doing, and you're kind of figuring out what I'm doing, and we're all just sort of having a nice time figuring this all out, because I'm just a, I'm just a woman in Saskatoon sitting in my apartment with a microphone. Anyway, that's all the more time for me to tell stories to you. And so thus far in this, this season, we've been looking at women who quote unquote misbehaved because inspired by the famous quote by Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, well-behaved women seldom make history. We're looking at women who made history because they did not quote unquote behave well in various different ways. And we've looked at women whose personality just sort of like bucked against the societal expectations and what people thought a princess should be like. We've looked at women who just live tits out and did a body swap to avoid anyone finding out that she was not a virgin and then killed a man and then admitted to it. And both of those women were from noble families. And today we're looking at another woman who was sort of from a noble family, but basically was a regular everyday lady. And that's what I really wanted to get to a story like this early on in the show, just to establish we're not talking about just royals. We're not talking about just rich people. It just so happens that if you're looking at what women in history have been written about, they tend to be rich people and royals because other women just no one thought were interesting enough to write anything about, which is tragic. And that's why one day when I get a time machine, I want to go back and just hang out and see what, what life was like for the everyday, everyday people. Anyway, Today, we are looking at a woman whose full name is Jeanne de Valois Saint-Rémy. Then she got married and she became Jeanne Comtesse de la Motte. We're just going to call her Jeanne with my Canadian French accent. Basically, she was descended from the bastard son of a French royal. So she had like that slight royal lineage, but the French royals had a lot of illegitimate children, so it didn't really do much for her. So basically, she was descended from the Valois family, who were the rulers of France for a while. And we're going to look at some other members of the Valois family, perhaps in another episode. But basically, her great-grandfather was the illegitimate son of the French king, Henry II. Because of these sort of royal roots, they had sort of an allowance that the royal family gave to everybody who was sort of like a descendant of a descendant of a descendant of a French bastard, which is like great, but also not so great because it was not super a lot of money. So Jeanne and her sister were both sent off to convent school. And the plan for them was to become a nun. But as we shall see, that did not suit Jeanne's personality whatsoever. Although she might have, she might have found her way to do lots of cool stuff as a nun as well. But basically, she liked stuff. She liked jewels and she liked wealth and she liked gorgeous outfits. And because this was, what year was she born? She was born in 1756. So this is like edging up on like French Revolution era slash Marie Antoinette slash like she likes the big wigs, the hats. Like she just, she was somebody who was living in a material world. And she was a material girl, but she did not have very much money. But what she had was ambition. So after she basically left nunnery school, decided that wasn't for her, she went to stay with a family friend and then became pregnant with twins, which is just like, oh, if you're pregnant with twins and it's like the end of the 18th century, you just hope you don't die in childbirth. Basically, she did not. And like a couple months before she gave birth or no, a month before she gave birth, she got married to a man who was the nephew of the family she was staying with. So she, she was married before she had the baby. She had baby twins, but they uh, both died very, very young because infant mortality was pretty considerable then. And that did not stop her. So basically her husband was a man named Nicolas de la Motte, who he called himself the, or the Comte de la Motte, which was basically, I think sort of a made-up title that he just sort of called himself because he wanted to sound impressive, but actually he was just pretty boring and useless. And Jean 
I'm guessing, again, um, she might have married him because of the whole pregnant with twins situation. The world and society she was living in, she had to marry the father of the twins or someone. Anyway, so she was not super into him because he was useless and she was just getting started living this amazing life that you're going to learn about. So she not only liked glamour and jewels and dresses and giant wigs, but she also sort of felt that they were owed to her because her family was descended from this illegitimate royal family member and before that from an actual royal family member. So she just kind of saw, you know, Marie Antoinette hanging out and felt like that should be me. I should, I should be able to live this fancy, amazing life like she is leaving. So basically, she decided she wanted to get some more money. She wanted to get an increase in the allowance that she got as a descendant of a descendant of a descendant. And she's like, okay, I mean, she, who can she ask to give her this money that would actually give her this money when the French royal family was like paying this money to all these people and didn't have a lot to spare at the moment. And so she thought what she's going to do is talk directly to Marie Antoinette, like girl to girl, just be like, hey, we're both like glamorous, amazing women. You get me, Marie Antoinette, like, can you please see about getting me more allowance money? And so the thing is, at the time, and I don't know all the details about how this whole situation goes, but it seems like anyone who's like dressed nicely enough could just like go to Versailles, which was where the French royal family lived, just go in there and hang out, which is like a pretty nice rule. So she figured she would just dress up nicely, go to Versailles, you know, accidentally on purpose run to Marie Antoinette and be like, hey, can I get some more allowance money from you? But Marie Antoinette had heard about Jean, knew that she was sort of this like notorious sort of con artist type person and knew to basically avoid her. Meanwhile, in another part of Versailles, there was a man named Cardinal de Rohan who was basically on the outs with Marie Antoinette because he was obsessed with her and gross. He tried to stop her from marrying her husband, Louis XVI. And basically she had kicked him out, out of court because he was gross and obsessed with her. And he would do anything to win her affection back, basically. So that's Cardinal de Rohan. Remember that name? Basically, Jean was like, okay, I can't get in to see Marie Antoinette, but I need to just figure out what's going on around court, learn what the goss is, and find a way that I can I can get close to Marie Antoinette and get this money or find another way to get money. In the meantime, Jean took a lover who is a famous gigolo named Reto de Villette, and she also became the lover of Cardinal de Rohan. So she's married, took two lovers, do it. Yes, just live your life. And so spending time with Rohan, she like quickly learned like he's obsessed with Marie Antoinette and just like really wants to be friends with her again. So Jean was like, hmm, what a crazy coincidence. I happen to be totally great friends with Marie Antoinette, you know, distant relative, etc. Um, and if you want, I can like put in a good word for you. If you, Cardinal Rohan, pay me, Jean, just like lots of money and jewels. And Rohan basically did. I mean, he gave her money and jewels and she pretended that she was putting in a good word with Marie Antoinette, but she wasn't actually doing that. And this is just kind of like a way for her to get money and jewels because she was all about that luxury lifestyle. And then the necklace. So I'm going to post a picture of the necklace on the Instagram, which is vulgar history pod at Instagram, just so you can understand what I'm talking about. It is the ugliest necklace in the history of, okay, <laughs> it's like, I'm just, I'll describe it to you, but like, just go to the Instagram to see this picture. So meanwhile, in another part of France, two jewelry makers had made the, the most expensive necklace in the history of jewelry and was also, I would say, the ugliest necklace in the history of jewelry. These two men had made it because they had hoped that the previous king's mistress, so not Marie Antoinette's husband, Marie Antoinette's father-in-law's mistress, who is a woman named Madame Duberry, who we will talk about on another podcast, almost definitely. Basically, these jewelers had made this disgusting necklace, hoping that Madame Duberry would want to buy it. Then she died. 
and they were left with this like extremely expensive necklace that's okay it's sort of like if you made an apron out of diamonds but like really tacky with tassels at the bottom connected to a multi-layer choker also made of diamonds and sort of held together with ribbons it's sort of like a penny like when you're playing sports in elementary school and you have to like wear a penny it's like a penny made of diamonds with jeweled bows on it and four tassels like four giant tassels it's just like so ugly but there's so many diamonds on it it was like super expensive and the thing is so these jewelers have made this disgusting necklace and they're like okay so madame de Bury is dead but let's try and get marie antoinette to buy it but obviously marie antoinette would not buy it because it was disgusting looking and also insanely expensive and she even she did not want to spend that much money so they were just like oh my god we have this disgusting necklace it costs so much money but no one's buying it so that means that we're actually sort of going bankrupt over just having it oh and also the necklace itself was so heavy like it was uncomfortable to wear so it's like disgusting and impractical and heavy and uncomfortable to wear so basically it was this nightmare they should never have made it and jean was like this is the opportunity i've been waiting my whole life for so she assembled her squad and i have to say having having done just a couple episodes so far when when one of the women we talk about assembles a squad i'm just like oh shit it's getting real like i love a squad i love a, a team leader so jean put together a team of people for this like for her plan so the squad was herself her husband nicholas who was just kind of like there ballast um her gigolo lover divelette was also involved and the mark was going to be Cardinal de Rohan. So the thing is that her lover, de Villette, was skilled at forgery, which is like, you know, he's a gigolo slash forger. Like, that's good. Diversify your skill set. So he made fake letters that were allegedly between Marie Antoinette to Jean to make it look like the two of them were like super good friends, the two women. So she showed the letters to Rohan, and the letters were all saying, the letters were basically Devlet having written as though he was Marie Antoinette saying like, I, Marie Antoinette, I want this disgusting necklace. I want this diamond apron that hurts the neck. Ugh, but this necklace is too expensive and my husband, the king, won't give me permission to buy it. If only someone like Cardinal de Rohan would like lend me the money so I could buy the necklace. So this is the letter. Like Devlet wrote a letter from Marie Antoinette to Jean saying like, if only someone would loan me Marie Antoinette the money to buy this disgusting necklace, which is like quite a, quite a letter, basically, saying just exactly what John needed it to say for the whole plan to work. And so Rohan, Cardinal de Rohan was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like Marie Antoinette wants money to buy this disgusting necklace. Like if I loan her the money, then maybe she'll let us be friends again, even though I, Rohan, am totally creepy. And John was like, great, this is totally, you know what, I'm so happy to bring the two of you together in friendship. And I, Jean, will be, I'll be the middleman. I'll be the intermediary. So I, Jean, will pick up the necklace from the jeweler's shop. And then I'll pick up Rohan's money. And then I'll exchange them, basically, but don't worry about it. The plan was, like, weirdly convoluted. And even to Rohan, who was, like, not who is willing to believe almost anything if it meant that he could be friends with Marie Antoinette was like, this seems a little sketchy. So I'd just like to confirm with Marie Antoinette that she, this is all actually what she wants to have happen. And Jean was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to let this, she's got a plan and she's going to stick to her plan. And so what she did is she went out and she found a woman who looked a lot like Marie Antoinette. This woman, her name was Nicole Le Guay d'Oliva, who was a sex worker. And basically, Nicole was told to just like go to Versailles, dress up fancy, anyone could get in apparently, and just like sit under in this garden in Versailles. And then when Rohan comes by, just kind of like be noncommittal and like pretend like you like him. So Nicole 
went to the garden, dressed like Marie Antoinette, and just kind of was like, mm, yeah, okay, smiled and nod to what Rohan said. Um, she agreed to forgive Rohan. She might not have even known she was impersonating the queen. She just knew to dress up fancy and go to Versailles, which is what she did. I can't see how she wouldn't know she was impersonating the queen. Like, Rohan probably must have called her, your majesty, etc. But anyway, so Nicole was just like, she got paid and she did her job and great job, Nicole. So Nicole did, did what she needed to do and Rohan was back on board. So Jean was sent out to do her like, obviously, obvious plan. So she went to pick up the necklace from the jewelers and the jewelers were told that Rohan was behind the purchase and Jean was sort of his like messenger person. But um, they were told that they couldn't give the necklace directly to the queen because, you know, the queen allegedly didn't want her husband to know about it. So they were told, give the necklace to Jean and she'll give it to the queen. And then the money Rohan will pay you later, basically. So Jean didn't pay the jewelers. They just gave her this like, I don't even know, 50 pound diamond penny with tassels on the bottom. Four tassels. It's like, you might think like, "Mm, you know what? Are you just like exaggerating? It's like, no, it's like actively ugly looking. Like, like it's just so ugly. And now we're just going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. So the thing is, I have allergies. My nose gets stuffy. I get sort of sinus congestion, and it just really can sometimes get in the way of doing things I really want to be doing, like recording this podcast, for instance. But you might have noticed that when you're listening to this podcast, you never hear me sounding like a duck or uh, with a runny nose. I'm never wiping my nose or stuff on the microphone. And that's because luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. So I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies, and the thing is, when I'm using it, you wouldn't even know that I have allergies. My voice sounds so crystal clear when I'm recording and when you're listening to me right now, but also when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing other life-related things, like just going about my day-to-day life, like sitting on the bus or going to work or whatever, going to the movie theaters. I don't have to worry about like, do I have tissues with me? Do I have a handkerchief? Is this noise bothering everybody? Am I being gross? Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
and we're back. Anyway, she got the jewels and then she brought the necklace to her husband, Nicholas. And then just like in that part in Ocean's 8, where Mindy Kaling was, she took the necklace apart, hiding off in the room. Um, Nicholas disassembled the necklace and into just like all separate diamonds. Side note, in Ocean's 8, there is a part where they're in the like the room with all the necklaces and the jewelry and stuff. And one of the necklaces there is in fact a replica of this necklace. I was like, oh my God, it's the necklace from this. So once you've seen the picture, maybe you'll know what I mean. Or maybe you saw that movie and you know this whole story and you're like, I noticed that too. And that was amazing. Anyway, so Nicholas took apart the necklace and he started just sort of like low key selling the diamonds, like a few at a time at like different shops. So nobody thought like, why does this man have literally 50 pounds of diamonds? The jewelers, meanwhile, were like, why isn't anyone paying us for the necklace? And then they realized like, oh, shit, Um, we just clearly got conned. And then they had Rohan, Cardinal de Rohan, arrested for defrauding them because they thought he was one behind everything. They thought he had sent Jean there. They thought he was going to pay for it. Rohan, of course, didn't know that anything untoward was happening. And so he uh, just and he also has no chill. So he just like squealed on everybody. So he said, basically, Jean, um, I think, was behind this. Also, de Villette, the gigolo, um, Nicole, the sex worker. And also, he just, I'm, I'm not, I can't remember exactly why this happened. But he also was like, and Count Cagliostro, which is just like, that he just brought him in as well. So that's just happening. So all these people were brought in on this con. But the thing is, this is... This is France, like just, just before the French Revolution happened. So like the people of France just like really hated the king and queen at the moment. Um, They would believe any terrible thing anybody said about them. So even though Marie Antoinette had nothing, nothing, nothing to do with any of this, the letters were forged. She didn't want the necklace. She'd never been friends with Jean. She still hated Rohan, but everybody was just kind of like, ugh, Marie Antoinette, we know all about her. This is I bet she wanted the necklace. I bet she got Rohan to buy it for her. So like they were, they were ready to believe the worst about her. And so the only way that Marie Antoinette and her husband figured they could prove their innocence was to have like a giant, a giant public trial for Jean and her co-conspirators. But plot twist, the very act of having a public trial basically backfired because Jean went up on the stand and she put on an amazing show. She just acted like a martyr and she's just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm in this position. Like I never did anything bad a day in my life. And everybody, like she just want everybody's sympathy and everybody already was predisposed to hate Marie Antoinette and the king. So it didn't take a lot for Jean to win their sympathy, but still like she, she put on a show and she did a good job there. And the, all the, there wasn't like newspaper tabloid press, but there was like pamphlets And so all these pamphlets got published about how like she was the true victim and people like cheered her when she went in and out of court. And so eventually Cardinal Rohan, Nicole and Count Cagliostro were all acquitted. um, Although the two men were sent into exile. De Villette, the gigolo slash forger was also exiled from the country. And Jean was, despite having all this public sympathy, she was found guilty of basically being a con artist, and she was sentenced to be whipped, branded, and imprisoned. But even though, like, the whole squad were were literally found guilty, Marie Antoinette was still super unpopular, and everybody still kind of blamed her for the whole thing. But, so you might think, you know, that's it. Jean is going to be whipped, branded, sent to prison, and that's the last you ever heard of her. But that's not what happened. What happened is she disguised herself as a boy, and escaped from prison is like went all the way to London like she crossed the waters to get from France all the way over to England she went to London and then she published her autobiography which was called Memoirs of the Comtesse de Valois de la Motte which was her sort of fake title she got from her husband combined with her own actual sort of royal illegitimate name. Anyway, she published her, she disguised herself as a boy, went to England and published her memoirs, which is how we know a lot of what we know about her. And so like any good memoirist, she did her best to make herself come across as the heroine. She just leaning into public sentiment, 
made Marie Antoinette seem like the bad guy in this whole situation. So this all seems like she might have then lived happily ever after in London as a popular memoir writer, um, just sort of like this famous person. But plot twist, she died at age 35, having fallen out of her hotel room window. So this is like, what? Basically, she was perhaps jumped out of her hotel window trying to escape from debt collectors, not to intentionally kill herself, but just to escape. But she apparently injured herself very badly, you know, broken legs, just like awful. But also like, did she jump? Was she pushed? I mean, nobody knows, but basically that, that is what happened. So she died in 1791, August 23rd, 1791, which was basically two years before Marie Antoinette herself was executed during the French Revolution. And so the two women were connected in this weird way. They both died within two years of each other. And if you want to pay your regards to this heroine, Jeanne is buried in London, where she, where she died. Um, she's buried in St. Mary's Churchyard in Lambeth in London, England. So first I just super want to shout out where I first heard about this story is from an amazing book, literally one of the best books I think I've ever read in my life, True Story, is the true crime slash historical nonfiction book, How to Ruin a Queen by Jonathan Beckman. He just gets in depth into all of this and just like fig- like explaining who Jean is, who, who her co-conspirators are, like what the mood was like in France, just like all the weird details of like literally this whole saga, which is just like, I can't, it's just like, how is this even a true story? Like every plot twist is just like, what? And then that really, there's a couple movie versions of this. In 2001, there was a Hilary Swank movie that came out called The Affair of the Necklace. And that's what this whole thing became known as, to history. The whole ugly necklace tricking the jewelers into giving it to her, Marie Antoinette becoming the villain. Like it's just known as The Affair of the Necklace. And that's also the title of the Hilary Swank movie, which is like, for costumes, great for like hairstyles, great, but it really kind of overcompensates in trying to make Jean uh, sympathetic, where she should just really be this like badass con artist, I think. But here they try and make it, I don't know, it's just they're trying to make you feel bad for her to like understand why she did this, where it's like, I understand why she did this. Like she wanted a luxurious life and she saw what people were doing in Versailles. She was super smart and she did it. Anyway, the movie is worth seeing because basically, because every version of this story is worth seeing. And also Hilary Swank does a good job and the costumes and hair are super amazing. And actually, now I'm just remembering that is where I heard about the whole thing to begin with before I even read the book. Frock Flicks is a website where costume designers talk about different costumes in different movies etc and they sort of explain what's accurate and what's not accurate and so they were they did a post about this movie the affair of the necklace where they especially complimented how the wigs were so good in this movie and i was like what is this affair of the necklace then i looked it up then i found the jonathan beckman book and here we all are and our lives are so much better there was a 1946 french film l'affaire du collier de lorraine so the affair of the necklace basically in french uh, 1929, there was a German silent film called Cagliostro, and then the 1979 Japanese anime Rose of Versailles involved some of this stuff as well. And now it is time to get on to discoring this, basically, to see where Jean de Valois Saint-Rémy de la Motte fits on our scandalous scale. So, I mean, if for some reason you haven't listened to the previous episodes of this podcast, this is where I score the story. Just not because I'm not scoring the people. I don't want to say that any person is any more valuable than any other person, but just like in terms of a story, how, how do these all rank? And then at the end of the season, we can see kind of like which was the most scandalous story we went to. So there's four categories. The first of which is the eponymous scandaliciousness score. So for Jean, we've got a lot. We've got a lot to work with here. We've got the, and again, like the scandaliciousness is like in the time and place where she lived. So the fact that she was 
eight months pregnant with twins when she got married and she gave birth to the babies a month after the wedding. Pretty scandaliciousness, like for the time, time and place. The fact that she, in short order, took two lovers, one of whom was a infamous gigolo slash letter forger. Scandalicious. The fact that she took up with Cardinal de Rohan, pretended she was friends with Marie Antoinette, and executed the entire affair of the necklace. I mean, we're getting into scheminess next, but in terms of scandaliciousness, just the fact that she, this is, this is going to be a high score. I think there was no murder involved in this story, which is why I'm going to give her a nine out of 10. Had there been, like she had a squad, she had the like sexy, the, the affairs with the men. She had the, the baby a month after she was married, like scandaliciousness is there, but I'm giving her a nine out of 10 because she didn't actually, there was no actual murder committed here. Not that murders should be committed, but in terms of like a story and how scandalicious is the story, that's, that's how I'm grading her. Cause the last episode, Francis Howard, I mean, she got a 10 for scandaliciousness and she deserved it. The next category is scheminess. And this is where I think Jean can really step up. So the complexity of her plan, like she took up with Rohan, figured out that he wanted to be friends with Marie Antoinette, found out about this ugly necklace, realized she could use the ugly necklace and Rohan's feelings for Marie Antoinette together so that she could get the necklace for herself. Bringing in Nicole, the Marie Antoinette lookalike sex worker, like the levels, the levels of this, like for scheminess, I think, I don't know. I don't want to like score everybody really high because then it's like, where can you go from there? But at the same time, oh, I'm going to give her an eight for scheminess because while this was amazing scheminess and then the fact that she disguised herself as a boy to escape prison and went to England, like her scheminess, super high. But I'll say is basically, it was the one scheme and it was an amazing scheme. But like to get a 10 in scheminess, I think you need to have like numerous schemes. So a eight in scheminess. Significance is the next category. And this is an interesting one to think about because at the time, And I think this is what we're finding a lot of the stories, like these stories seemed huge at the time, but they became sort of more ephemeral. But the affair of the necklace was, I think, one of the one of numerous factors, but it was one of the factors that really led to um, the French Revolution. Like it didn't this specific thing wasn't like the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was it just made everybody hate Marie Antoinette a little bit more, which just got everybody a bit more worked up. The fact that she was this martyr got everybody else more worked up. Like the significance is not like she didn't throw the match that started the fire, but she was like, she was like, if the fire was a pile of hay, this was like a big old clump of hay in that fire. If that's a metaphor, I don't know. But overall, like the significance to like world history I'm going to, I'm going to give her a three, I think. Like it is significant, but we're going to look at other people whose stories are, have more significance. The final scoring factor is the sexism bonus. And I want to, I think, redefine that because the first two episodes we did were both wealthy, noble women. Jean kind of was noble, but she was also an impoverished peasant. So there's there's classism and there's sexism and they go together especially in these stories of women like Jean. so for this we're looking at how much did the fact that she was a woman and that she was a poor woman how much did that hold her back how much did that affect her life like if she had been a man in the society how might things have turned out differently and this is an interesting one again i thought that this bonus would be much more apparent in figuring out these scores but sort of like with Frances Howard like Jean was she was a woman and it was a shitty time to be a woman it was a shitty time to be a poor woman 
but she kind of saw the cards she was dealt and went from there. So like she got married young, pregnant, which is like probably not her fondest dream, but that kind of got her the marriage. So she was able to do that. Like basically she could have stayed in the nunnery and that would have been an okay life, but she got married instead. She took the lovers. She had all this ambition and she was able to pull off this plan because she was a woman. I will say, if had she been born a man with this much ambition and cleverness and drive, she may have she may have not taken the fall quite as much as she did. Like I think, the fact that all the men involved in her scheme were sent into exile, whereas she was like whipped and thrown in prison. I mean, that's that's the sexism right there. So everybody, as far as I can imagine, is always going to get at least a five in the sexism area um lower class women would also get the sexism slash classism i'm gonna give her a seven a seven in this category which adds up to 27 she gets a 27 out of 40 which is i think the highest score of anybody yet and i mean well deserved the whole like well-behaved women seldom make history thing she is like such an example of a woman who just, we know about her. Well, firstly, because Jonathan Beckman wrote that amazing book, because Frogflix did the review of the Hilary Swank film, and because I'm doing this podcast now. But we know about her. Like, she wrote her own autobiography. Oh, I forgot she wrote her own autobiography. I'm not going to reconsider her score. Like, I'm happy with the score, but just like she was a legend. Like, she she made sure that we all knew who she was. Like the actions she did, she reframed them herself, writing her biography, like these pamphlets that came out about her. Like she got the free publicity and she just leaned into it. Like she's like, she epitomizes well-behaved women seldom make history because nothing about her was well-behaved except she pretended like she was when she was, it's almost like a Scarlet Pimpernel scenario. Speaking of revolutionary France where she's just like, seems like this sort of like, you know, lovely lady hanging out in Versailles, just being whatever. Well, secretly in the shadows, she's like this criminal mastermind. And I wish she had lived longer. I wish she had done more schemes. I wish there's more, more to know about Jean. But I mean, considering she only lived to be 35, she, she really made herself a legend and and for that I respect her um and I mean a score she's got the high score so far 27 on our scandalousness scale so this is vulgar history my name is Ann Foster and I've got all social media things all set up the previous episodes that I recorded I didn't have that stuff ready but now I can tell you all about it so on Instagram we are at vulgar history pod on Twitter we are at vulgar history um and let me know what you think about about jean about her score of 27 27 out of 40 um would you've scored her higher would you've scored her lower who else do you think we we could would be a good episode to talk about you can also check out on my um patreon which is patreon.com slash and foster writer and if you become a patron, one of the perks you get is you can vote on a poll, which is helping to figure out um, who should I do more podcasts about or who should I write blog posts about, because there's a never ending supply of amazing and interesting women I keep finding out about, you know, it's like any internet sort of black hole, like you look up a thing and then you click on that and then you find out something else and then something else. And then suddenly you're just like, oh my God, who is this obscure story I've never heard about. And the next thing you know, I'm in the university library reading like articles, like trying to find out about somebody that not a lot of people have talked about before. It's just, it's exciting. I love finding an exciting story. And again, for this one, which is just like one of my favorite stories ever. um, I can't recommend enough How to Ruin a Queen by Jonathan Beckman. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And otherwise... I guess I will talk to you all next time. Have a great, have a great week, everybody. What I find interesting about these first season episodes is that 
you know, I was figuring out how to do the podcast, but the vibe is there. Like the vibe is definitely there. If I was to do this episode anew now, I think it would probably be like two and a half hours long because there's some stuff I skim over that I'd probably want to delve into a bit more in depth. Although I do want to say that this episode inspired the first ever Patreon special episode. So this asshole, I did one about Cagliostro, who if you watch the movie, The Affair of the Necklace, the Hilary Swank movie, he's played by Christopher Walken in quite a memorable performance. That movie is actually one that I have talked about on Vulgar Peace Theater, which is one of the Patreon spin-off podcasts, which is where myself, Alison Epstein, and Lana Wood Johnson, we talk about costume dramas from... We just talk about costume dramas, basically, and it's on Patreon for anyone who's at the $5 or more a month level. And the thing with that movie is the wigs are great, as Frockflix said. I think the costumes are also pretty accurate. But the movie did this thing that, and we talk about it in the Vulgar Peace Theater episode, where it's like to make Jean de Lamotte be a heroine, like a heroic figure that the audience could root for, instead of making her this kind of like dirtbag anti-hero, they'd made it that she actually did have a claim to the throne, like that her family was kicked off their lands. And so she's doing this kind of in a righteous quest because she should be a royal instead of just, she was just like a grifter doing the best she could. And so they make her be this heroic person instead of this anti-hero. And that's where the movie is not as strong as it could be, I don't think. But it's an ongoing thing with um, especially movies, I think, and TV shows where there's so many you know, producers and committees you have to go through. So I don't know what the script was in the first place for this, but where they were able to get their financing was by making Jean be this sort of heroic figure, which is like the whole delight in her story. She's very much not that. What I also wanted to mention is that in the episode, I say, you know, look at my Instagram to see how ugly the necklace is. And I know that people are catching up on this podcast and the Beck episodes when I get messages from people or comments on that Instagram post being like, oh, wow, this is even uglier than I thought. Yeah. Like you need to see this necklace to understand how ugly it actually was. And that's a crucial part of the story. Like the fact that Marie Antoinette didn't want it because it's a fucking ugly necklace. The necklace itself was like no longer exists. And we just, the replicas that people have, you can get some on like Etsy and places like that, are all kind of based on how it was described. So it's sort of like people know generally what it looked like, but the actual necklace itself is not around. What I lost my mind in the movie Ocean's 8, there's a scene where there's this fake Met Gala exhibit of royal jewelry. And in the background, you can see that they have the, this diamond necklace on. I was, I was just like, oh my God, it's the fair the necklace necklace. And I was excited about it. What I also want to mention is that in this first season episode, I say like, look at my Instagram, there's a picture. And at some point after I recorded that, I did sort of like a clearing out of my Instagram and I deleted old posts and people were like, where's the picture of the necklace? So I put it back. It's in my highlights now, if you want to see what it looks like. But since then, this necklace has really taken on sort of a meaning, I think, to me and to this podcast and to the listeners, the Tits Out Brigade. I've got um, Hiral Chabert, who is an artist. This was the first artist commission merch I got. So if you go to the Vulgar History store, there's a t-shirt that is just like a black t-shirt, but there's a drawing of the necklace on it. So when you wear the t-shirt, it's as though you're wearing the necklace, which is frankly the size of the front of a t-shirt because it's so huge and ugly. But on the t-shirt, it looks so nice and Hiral did it. She designed it. So it kind of looks like it's glinting, like it's diamonds. It's so pretty. Anyway, that's Vulgar History dot com slash store or vulgarhistory.redbubble.com. You can get one of those t-shirts if you like. But also since then, there was a person on, oh, it's in my highlights on Instagram. I don't know the name offhand, but this beautiful TikToker found a way to style the necklace with a dress and she looks so cute and she pulls it off. So like, it's possible to make this necklace look good. It's just, you have to really put your mind to it, I guess. Anyway, it's, this is a story that I really enjoy and it's one that I have for undisclosed reasons been thinking about a lot lately is I've been working on my plans for the next season of Vulgar History. And I don't want to announce specifically what the next season is going to be about until I'm like, for sure, for sure that it's going to happen. Just kind of like the tone of it or like the name of the season might go or change. I kind of know what it's about, like the time period. I guess I'll tell you that'll be your treat for listening to this after the rerun talking like it's going to be set in the 18th century i can tell you that and so i i don't like to say what's coming up next because ever since i think in season 2 i was like next week i'm talking about eleanor of aquitaine and i have still not done an episode about eleanor of aquitaine sometimes people say like i don't see it in the feed like where's your eleanor of aquitaine episode non existent um <laughs> i have not done it 
Although if you're a Patreon subscriber you and you listen to the Vulgar Peace Theater episodes, we just did an episode about the movie The Lion in Winter, which is a movie about Eleanor Bacotain. So that's the closest I have yet to come to actually doing that. But anyway, so I don't want to formally announce what the next season is going to be about, but I will tell you for sure, like the shape of it may grow and change, but it's definitely 18th century. So like the same time period in which Jean de Lamotte was just being a tits out legend, you know, and doing her own thing. And so that's why I've been thinking about her and this time period and that ugly necklace. It's just, it's such a good, I love the story. And I love that this was one of the first episodes of vulgar history. Anyway, contrary to what I may say at the end of the episode you just listened to, I want to give you all the updated information about our social media and stuff, which is uh, where you can find me mostly, most of the time, is at uh, Vulgar History Pod on Instagram. And then also we have the Patreon, so patreon.com slash Writer. So for $1 or more a month, you get early ad-free access to all episodes. For $5 or more a month, you get the Vulgar Peace Theater episodes, um, as well as other bonus content that I post there. And we also have a Discord. So if you join at the $5 per month level, you can join the Discord, which is just kind of like a big group chat of Titsoed Brigade members. And that's, it's just a nice chill place to hang out, basically. In the absence of, you know, functional social media these days, it's just a nice place to talk to people who like get it, people who are cool and who you want to hear from. I also want to mention, if you're looking for transcripts of this podcast, transcripts of recent episodes are available at vulgarhistory.com. Thank you to Evelyn Malik from The Wordery for providing these transcripts. So it's like most recent episodes and going backwards, which will include these reruns as well. You can also get in touch with me using the form at vulgarhistory.com or you can email me directly at vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. And so I'm going to be back again next week with another revisiting. Oh, I do want to say for some of these, I've been revisiting their scores, but Jean de Lamotte, where she landed, I think is ideal. I don't have any the people who've landed there, like it was such an early episode, but like other people, she got a 27. Other people who got a 27 are people like Ana de Mendoza, Ana de Ipatch, got a 27, La Voisin, who is also a similar sort of story, just in terms of France, dirtbag, royally adjacent scandals, 27.5, Best of Hardwick, 27.5. Like, I think that this is definitely, this is where I feel like confident about where Jean de Lamotte landed on the score because the people around her are people whose stories, I think, are similar similar levels of scandaliciousness, etc. Anyway, I hope you're all doing okay this winter holiday adjacent season. It's going to be a few more of these revisited bonus episodes coming up. And then in like mid-January, we'll be back with all new content. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being in the Tits Out Brigade. And until next time, keep your pants on and your tits out. Vulgar History is hosted, written, and researched by Anne Foster and edited by Christina Lumagi. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.